falling down Picking up the pieces Where you run around Hanging on for days I don't mind being patient for a while I don't mind being patient for some time Well, you won't catch me Terry O'Connor here. It's New Year's Eve, and I hope this episode finds you embarking on an exciting year ahead. I want to start by making a bit of a confession here. I've been trying my hardest to stick to a regular release schedule, but the truth is, I'm no professional podcaster. I've got about three different jobs and, well, trying to get this nonprofit off the ground, so suffice to say, time's tight here at the holidays. And, well, I'm about five days short of rolling out back to Nepal. More about that project later on in another episode, so stay tuned. But the truth is, I am more passionate about this process than ever. And the feedback I get from y'all really does mean a lot. Just having a few folks contact me after an evening chat at Black Diamond Equipment meant so much. So for 2018, I'm really going to do my best to commit to a regular schedule, but I'd love to hear from you to help me keep accountable to the process. If you've been liking what you're hearing, please let me know. This isn't some craft deploy to send me dollars. I want your feedback and comments. So send us a note on Instagram, leave a review on iTunes. Trust me, your encouragement means a ton. And one of the greatest compliments I get is having an influential activist and athlete like Brody Levin make time for a conversation on last minute notice. So thanks, Brody. And without further ado, let's get on to the show. Born from our experiences as explorers and forged by a commitment to the positive change we want to see in the world. This is the Adventure Activist Podcast. I'm I'm trying to stay dynamic in like the stories that I'm putting out there. I don't just try to be like, I went here, I did this, look how rad I am. It's this is what I did. This is how it could apply to you. And this is what like the world can maybe take away from it. They're like, I can donate 10 bucks because it's going to be fun to watch Brody's stories of him struggling on Instagram throughout the day. Fair enough. Like that, I'll give 10 bucks for that, you know? <laughs> it is about acting. Yeah. And whether you're you're going to rallies or you're you're set on your liketivism or you're running for public office or you're like a scientist trying to invent, you know, alternative uh, fuels, these are all great things and they're all necessary and we can't give each other a hard time for doing any one of these because every one of these is necessary. Yeah. Welcome to the Adventure Activist Podcast. I'm your host, Terry O'Connor. This is a place for accomplished athletes, inspiring adventurers, and influential activists to share their journeys and life discoveries. Through their stories, we hope to deconstruct how we all can add more meaningful value to the world and do some good with our passion for adventure. This is Episode 5 with Brody Levin. You may know Brody as a professional skier, athlete, explorer, and storyteller. He has built a reputation on his penchant for pushing the envelope and his wholehearted embrace of humbling tests of endurance. From bike-powered ski expeditions in the Arctic to arduous treks to ski the last remaining snows of Uganda, to watch a film by Brody is always an entertaining insight into the, well, absurd, replete with the self-effacing humor you'd expect on such an endeavor. In the hour ahead, for sure we talk some adventures, but really aim to highlight how Brody uses his platform to advocate for the preservation of public lands and educate the masses on the threats of climate change. And he's not afraid to step out of the ski boots and put on a suit and tie to step in front of Congress to show up for the cause. We talk about keeping your cool in the politicized and heated social media arena. He challenges the criticism that just liking posts is not a form of activism and in the end, share some insightful stories on how we can all show up for what is right without necessarily being in the spotlight. Enjoy. Cool. 
cool. Brody Levin, thanks so much for uh, inviting me over and hang out in your gear closet, which yeah. I'm envying already. I'm sure I'm sure you're a proud parent. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like room. I moved into the house in the very, like, I don't have a couch yet, but I got the gear room dialed, you know? It's, yeah, it's dialed. It's looking pretty tight, man. <laughs> thanks. Well, cool. I just, I, I'll start because, uh, you know, stories are always fun. And I was just standing at our mutual friends over at Drew's and, um, I think he he had mentioned some story and he said he couldn't recall quite the details, but something about I think it was Denali in two different boots. <laughs> and I know yeah. you, like me, are a connoisseur of type two fun. <laughs> Drew knew about all. that, really? Yeah, I don't know. He didn't remember how he, how he remembered. I, I was like, from, trying, but... you know, everyone, it was like my first trip, my first uh-huh. ski trip to altitude, and everyone's like, you need bigger boots, your feet are going to swell, which doesn't happen to me. Yeah. Um, I got two pairs of the exact same boots, one a size larger than the other and I was like up until the last minute I was like walking around the house with one of each size on you know Uh and I decided on I think the smaller of the two pair and like threw them in my ski bag go through Anchorage go through Talkeetna land on the glacier so you're going to Denali yep going to Denali just to confirm to try to ski off the summit of Denali and uh yeah, put my boots on when as soon as the plane flew away, dropped us off on the glacier, and I'm like, these are I go I don't even notice it. And I go to step into my skis and one of them fits and one of them doesn't. <laughs> and I was like, Oh god, yeah. what did I do? And it took me a minute to realize I had the right size liners on each boot. I had mixed liners yeah. and shells and whatever. I ended up with two different size shells and had to adjust one ski. Yeah. And for people that don't know, to go climb Denali, you fly in to Kiltna Base and you're pretty much committed. For a number of weeks, you're not going to an REI, you're not going to any small gear shop. You've got one pair of footwear. For three to four weeks. Yep. So it sucked. <laughs> but I just, I, I don't even remember, like, by day three, I didn't know which was the smaller, which was the bigger. I'm like, I'm going to push this out of my mind. I can't even think about this. I'm going to be okay, you know. And I skied off the summit and skied a bunch of lines and it yeah. worked out. How early did you admit to your climbing partners you had done that? Um, My best friend was on the trip and I, like, called him aside and I was like, do you have any idea what's going on right now? And I was freaking out. And I didn't tell everyone else until like the last day of the trip. Oh, really? I think I might have told Conrad on the summit. Oh, okay. So Conrad was there. So that, all right. Yeah. That's and then everyone else, I, I'm just like, you guys don't need to know this. What I'm going, everyone's like struggling in their own way. You know, I'm like, you don't need to know what I'm going through. <laughs> I don't need to talk about my problems right now. Well, I'm, I'm glad you were successful in that, uh, in that era. And, and I certainly know that, uh, Knowing some of your work and, and seeing some of your films, I know that you are a, a connoisseur of when things go sideways. Yeah, aren't uh, we all? And obviously, you have a, a talent for, for storytelling, and it, it seems as though you've uh, very much embraced the self-effacing characterization of yourself and also these humbling moments. Is that something that's been part of you well before you became known as an athlete, or do you feel like that is actually a really important part of something you want to share on your platform as an athlete. I think both. Yeah. It's it, it's not like a conscious part of my my brand. It, I didn't like, you know, become a professional athlete then I'm like, okay, and and part of what I do is going to be like uh making fun of myself. Yeah, but it's stick. like, you know, yeah. it was it was me beforehand and I think I've realized it probably plays in my favor because people view me not as this um untouchable professional athlete but as like the everyday person pushing themselves really hard. And I think in that regard, I've kind of become this caricature of myself because it's like, oh, Brody, he's the one that likes to do hard stuff. And then I like keep taking it a step further, a step further. Not necessarily the hardest things for most people, but the hardest things for myself. And I'm like, okay, I can't do a trip harder than this. And then six months later, it's like, okay, here's something that not only can I not do a trip harder than this, but I don't want to. And here I am doing something harder on purpose going out of my way to do it you know yeah and so i think yeah being a caricature of my own self is um i've never put it that way but i think that's probably the case and it probably i think benefits my brand um just because it's more transparent and that's who yeah. i really am well i mean i think not being a professional athlete myself i'll say it certainly benefits my relationship with my partners right <laughs> i think think so yeah. and i actually think that's uh that's a lesson we often don't learn until we've had experience and then you have these tight partnerships that come up because you have that one moment where you're just like so super embarrassed uh, and then you finally admit to your friend and then you realize that it it engenders and it develops this you know, higher level of trust with you and your partner and then you're like oh sweet I'd do anything with this guy or girl now because I know when it goes sideways I can trust in them to let me know when it's too much or when they're in over their head 
I, I kind of split. I bet between like my trips and expeditions, I'm probably like the more experienced partner half the time mm-hmm. and the less experienced partner half the time. And I'm like the first to be like, hey, I've never been here. I've never done this. Like, yeah. this is great. Or like, hey, like um, I am the one who's been here and done this before. Let's do it this way. But I still very well may screw up. And yeah. I'm the first to say that. And it's no can problem. You, can you think of a time when you may have done something like that and you were really uh, nervous or embarrassed about what the impact of kind of like being the dissenting opinion or kind of a, a, a voice of caution. I, I did a Kazakhstan expedition like two summers ago mm-hmm. and we were trying to be the first people to ski this peak on the Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, China border. Mm-hmm. And it was like a 19,500 foot peak, something like that. And we were at like 17, no, we were at 18. I think we were so close, you know, mm-hmm. we were like whatever, three weeks in and like, we're so close. And, um, we we hit this wind slab that's like wall to wall on the face that we're climbing mm-hmm. and it's there's just no way around it and i kind of watched my options when i first hit it i'm like all right like we'll figure out a way around this and then as i kind of go through our options i start to realize like there is no way around this and i quickly just emotionally i'm like oh and i'm like crying and i'm like so upset i've like you know got everything into this trip huge investment to get there. huge investment to and get who there. was your yeah. partner too um it was my buddy Robin, and then we had a Kazakh guy who was originally just like our, our fixer, logistics guy uh-huh. named Rage, except he became our ski partner because it turns out he's like the one ski mountaineer, <laughs> and uh, he was awesome. Yeah. But he was very gung-ho, let's do this, we're going to climb this thing. He's been staring at this mountain his entire life sort of thing. Yeah. And then I'm... And with your friend, was there a lot of buildup for this trip? Like, a lot of convincing to get him to come along and totally standing relationship there, too? I think, I mean, Robin and I have done trips together all over the world. Yeah. And um, he looks at me as the... He's a school teacher. He does this stuff. He'll, like, go on one expedition a year. He'll, like, ride his snowboard once a year. And it's when we're in Kazakhstan or when yeah. we're on Denali, you know? Um, so he looks at me as kind of the experience. Rage looked at me as um, kind of the outsider. And he knew he was, like, the Kazakh local. And um, he wanted to get this thing, and I, I had to put my foot down and be like, hey, we, we can't climb any further. I mean, he was, he was really pushing, and Robin's just kind of sitting back because he doesn't feel strongly one way or the other, you know? Mm-hmm. And until Robin saw how, how bullheaded I was being about, like, no, we can't continue to climb. And he joined my side because he's like, well, Brody says so. I say so, too, I guess. And, yeah, I think I, I was very much in the minority at the beginning of that decision, but, like, in hindsight, I, I, it was the right decision. I mean... I've like I've watched the video of me like dissecting the snowpack in this pit that I dug, and I'm like, no, that was the right thing to do. But you can't help but tear yourself apart, you know, because I only got positive reinforcement. I'm like, yeah, that must have been the right decision. But in reality, maybe we could have gotten away with it, and we could have gotten this first descent of this huge peak, you know. Yeah. And um, those things they, they get to me. Like I think about that every day, sort of thing, you know. Yeah. Well, maybe you could have got away with it, but as you know, one of my close friends says is, you know, with certain mountain objectives at the end of the day are you more at peace knowing that you got it done or got away with it right and i think like when you when you hit a certain level of the things you're trying to do like in a way you are just trying to get away with stuff and yeah i I think you can't do that with consistency or that's going to end badly and we had kind of already done it on that trip like our main objective we had already skied um we got a first ascent and descent of this peak called talgar which is like the highest peak in this region of kazakhstan Mm -hmm. and and it was it was hanging it out there a bit, and I'm like, two of these on the same trip might not be a good idea, um, and that's why I kind of I drew the line, knowing that the whole trip wasn't a failure. You could see the the line of hubris and greed starting to develop, and then I mean, I guess I asked a little bit more of those probing questions of who you were involved with because it just helps set up kind of a bit of this the, the scarcity heuristic, right? I mean, yep. You've made this huge investment to travel all the way across the world with a good friend of yours. You know, skiing was in. You had just completed another peak. This was a, another primary objective, right. and you're nearly there. So close. <laughs> it was like we were looking at like the plumes coming off the summit. You know, yeah. it, it was killer. And then yeah, you, you're nearly there, and then all of a sudden you have to take into account like it doesn't matter if we're nearly there. It doesn't matter how far into this trip we are. Yeah. Nothing matters right now except this wind slab that's directly in front yeah. of me. Yeah, I mean, it's self awareness is so key yeah. for safety out there. Our conversation moved on from self-awareness in the mountains to Brody's motivations in starting his career as a storyteller.
it did feel more of like a moral obligation. It did so. How can you yeah. expand on that a little bit more? How- I so I moved to Salt Lake to go to to Westminster College, uh-huh. and I wanted to be near skiing, but I went out to go to school. And I, I was in the honors program, and a big part of the honors program was writing. And I did not mm. enjoy writing. That was my nemesis of the entire honors program. Like I did not want to be a writer. I didn't want to. I like I wanted to learn, and I felt like that was producing as opposed to absorbing and i was like there to absorb you know i didn't go to college with this like uh, means to another end in mind it was like kind of an end in itself i wanted to learn at college yeah and i didn't want to like produce 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 i wanted to absorb absorb and i understand you have to write in order to learn but yeah. at the time that didn't really seem right and um i graduated and i had a whole bunch of student debt and i took like the very small savings i had made as a climbing guide in college um and like went on a trip to Patagonia and I was like, oh man, this is every last penny I have. And I came back and I felt not like a sense of guilt, but like I had been emailing my family the whole time I was down there and I'd been taking these pictures and it all kind of felt in vain. Mm -hmm. And I also didn't want to just put it out there in the world and be like, look at what I did. Look how rad I am. I spent my money irresponsibly and I went on the coolest trip ever. So I wrote an article for a ski website. I think I either gave it to them or I paid them to put it on there. I don't remember. (laughs) But it was received really well because people saw that I was just like a normal guy who had like saved his pennies up to go to South America having, uh, you know, never been there before or Mm -hmm. whatever and, and put this thing together. And people started this draw to like explain to me what that provided them. And I didn't think that would provide them anything. Right, I thought that was going to be like something to do while they're sitting on Facebook at work. Yeah. But for some reason, they were explaining to me that like you know your story inspired me to quit my job or inspired me to travel or inspired me to do whatever. And I'm like, wow, like maybe there is this inspiration because I was at the time and still am like such a big consumer of this this media, this adventure media. You know, listening to your podcast and watching your TED talk or or reading every book and every magazine. Like I'm not doing this because it's my job. I'm doing it because I enjoy doing this. And like, that's where I find my inspiration. I think social media particularly can get a critique of it's like this highlight reel and people find it depressing because they're like, Oh man, look at Terry's life. He just travels around in his camper van or camper truck and like just camps and skis and it's awesome, Mm -hmm. you know? But I find that to be motivating to be like, Mm -hmm. okay, if he can do that, why can't I do whatever it is that I want to do? And so I can take the exact same content that I think some people find disappointing or um, kind of belittling to themselves and flip it to find inspiration in it. And it turns out other people do that too. It made me feel good to be able to provide that for other people. Um, Mm -hmm. So that that was selfish. Like I was doing it because it made me feel good, but it made me feel good because it made other people feel good. And so I continued doing that. I'm like, maybe there's something here. It was like social media was just kind of getting off the ground. This is like 2010. Okay. Um, Just starting to get off the ground beyond social circles as far as influencing purchasing powers and and those kind of things. And I saw this. I'm not the best skier in the world by any means. But I'm like, okay, I'm out of money. I have student loans. Can I be a pro skier like I've wanted to be my entire life? But I'm some 21-year-old who grew up in Ohio who had never skied west of Indiana until I moved to Salt Lake four years prior. And so I'm like, okay, like, can I do this? And I really tried to, you know, I got a business degree and I tried to like use this knowledge that I had gained. And I'm like, how can I turn this into something that is sustainable for me, but also gives back to the greater community? Because I wanted to, you know, I kind of planned on on doing something in sustainable development or or something along. That's what my thesis is on, you know, something along those lines. And, And I'm like, how can I do what I want to do because I became a, a climber and skier in college. That's like, that's who I was then. And I'm like, how can I, how can I relate this to what I want to do? And, and I thought like, Hey, like maybe I can combine this like influence of social media and this passion I have for skiing and climbing. And this, I think kind of unlimited demand of adventure stories that people want. And in the past couple of years, then that has also translated into how can these adventure stories also incorporate some sort of um, activist element? Yeah. And um, I'm, I'm trying to stay dynamic in like the stories that I'm putting out there. I don't just try to be like, I went here, I did this, look how rad I am. It's, this is what I did. This is how it could apply to you. And this is what like the world can maybe take away from it. And that answer is not going to be the same for everyone, but hopefully like you as a reader or a viewer or a listener can take something away from it that can help you make, your life and the world a better place. Yeah. 
you use that term moral obligation. I mean, is that something you felt very early on from way back in 2010? I mean, this is actually a topic I wanted to ask you as far as, you know, the platform and utilizing social media. I think some people dive into it because of their profession and then they develop a distaste for it and then they want to spin it to something they can be more proud of. But it sounds like in your case, you were surprised at the feedback you got and then immediately felt this sort of obligation. Is that is that accurate? I mean, I think I have felt some sort of more obligation for a a lot of, you know, I grew up with like my parents were hippies in Ohio. I've been a vegetarian my entire Mm -hmm. life because of animals rights, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, um, you know, we've composted my whole life and ate out of the garden. And, and I started a recycling program when I was in third grade, you know, and like these kind of things were just kind of, I think, ingrained in me a bit, Mm -hmm. kind of in my DNA. And I was student body president at my college and like I got really involved in environmental initiatives both on my campus and beyond and like started a free bike rental program for other campuses around the the country to follow this model, you know, and these kind of things that I've, it's not out of moral obligation. It's just, I think that's, that's just who I am. It's the way you were raised. Yeah, I I think so. And I didn't want to just do that though. I still am selfish enough of a person where I wanted to apply that to what I wanted to do, which is climb and ski, which are, as you said, or as Conrad said in your first episode, which are just selfish pursuits. Yeah. And, and that's okay with me because I think there is a way to not make them less selfish, but add a more selfless element to them. And that's kind of what I've been striving for. You know, I'm still going to want to stand on summits by myself or with my friends. And that has nothing to do with the greater world. But I think the message that I can take away and share from that is something that can hopefully help the greater world. And I I think you said in your TED talk, you said like adventure can be undervalued more or less to paraphrase it. Right. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's, uh, that's totally true because the value of an adventure reaches beyond just getting sweaty and going without sleep and, uh, standing on summits. I asked Brody if he had any role models and if he ever struggled with confidence in himself when he was developing his voice and later in his career as an activist. I, so I graduated in 2010 and I knew I wanted to combine these various facets. I wanted to be a good skier. I wanted to be a good ski mountaineer. I wanted to be one of the best ski mountaineers in the world, Mm -hmm. right? Like cutting edge, progressive ski mountaineering. So I looked at the people doing that and I'm like, okay, there are, there are role models in ski mountaineering. There's Andreas France and Chris Davenport and the Frenchies. And like, there are all these people yeah. doing stuff that I really look up to. There are climbers, obviously that I looked up to very much for their climbing abilities. There are public speakers who I looked up very much to for their public speaking abilities. There are activists and politicians, and there are people working in the environmental sector, but there was no one combining all of it. Mm. And that's kind of the way I saw if I were to look forward at the time, I mean, I was very much acting on a, on a daily basis, but I'm like, okay, this, I somehow want to combine all of these things. And I have role models in any given one of these categories, but no one's really combining it. And I don't want to do it because no one's doing it, but I want to do it because that's what I want to do. And I, and I think there's an opportunity there. Maybe it's a little ahead of its time or a little behind its time or whatever, but I want to try to combine them. And fast forward, you know, seven years to today, and I think, there are people doing exactly what I intended to do in 2010 and which I am doing now better than me. They, they came in later and they're already doing it better. And I think that's totally fine, whether it's because they have a louder voice or a bigger platform or they're more athletically gifted and that allows them to, to have a bigger reach or whatever it is. Um, a huge part of, of what I'm trying to do, which is spread these good messages through, through adventure is having a loud voice that people are receptive to. And, um, that's I think stunted by a couple things for me. Uh, whether I'm not like the most charismatic or the most appealing or the most athletically gifted, like there are people who are more of all of those things. Yeah. And uh, but I think I have to work within my own confines, and I think we all do. And yeah, it's been cool to see like this thing that I envisioned, you know, eight years ago, like starting to to take off um, in a much bigger way than just me. Yeah. I mean, speaking of developing that loud voice. Uh, I mean, how do you develop the confidence to have a voice in the first place? I mean, I, I, maybe I'm more speaking for myself and I don't want to project it upon you, but I think when you step into an arena or you try to develop a niche for the first time, I think you naturally, part of you might be paralyzed by a lack of legitimacy. Like, 
wait a minute, who am I? You know, right. like how, how am I to be the person to be the spokesperson for this? Uh, and I don't know if you, if you struggled with any of that early on, um, before you developed your voice. I, I've struggled with it more over time than at the beginning. Really? Yeah. That mm-hmm. didn't, that didn't really cross my mind at the beginning. Just because nobody else was doing it at the yeah. time. Like, yeah. Let's just see what happens. Totally. Okay. And I'm sure other people were, I don't want to take credit for starting this, but I think because I, it's as I did, I, I went all through college without social media. And so as I joined it, I didn't see other people doing this. And that's why I was like, oh, maybe I'll be the first person to be integrating all these different ways of, you know, there's all these people that have been doing public speaking forever and taking their adventures and turn them into motivating stories that they give to, you know, corporations or whatever. Mm-hmm. I was trying to go um, not a step further than that, but a different direction than just that. And so maybe it was being done before, but I, that, that didn't really cross my mind. I, I knew I didn't know all the answers and I knew I was hypocritical in some ways and questioning things in other ways, but only recently have have people started to been have people started to be so critical of activists. Even people I have this conversation every day. Even people that are trying to achieve the same goal, they're critical of the way that you're trying to do something when they're trying to do the same thing just in a different way. And I'm like, hey guys, like you can't be critical of imperfect activism. It's not even imperfect. It's just a different approach than you would take because I think. People taking all these different approaches and surrounding the same topic from different directions are exactly what we need in order to address that topic. And it's good that people have different approaches. And it's good that some people are hypocritical or some people are ironic or or whatever it is because we're all addressing the same thing. Let the people that are against our goal be the ones that are critical of us. In the meantime, encourage people that are trying to achieve the same things, which for me is, is av- avalanche awareness and environmental activism and, and public lands advocacy. Like those are the three things that I've really like, focused on in mm-hmm. my career, um, at least lately. And and telling someone that, you know, you can't be an environmental activist because you fly in airplanes. But that's that's like a flawed line of reasoning. Where does that, that fallacy stop? You know, does it stop at, well, you can't be one because you drive a car. It can't be one because you live in a car. You can't be an environmental activist till you live in a cave without any clothes and don't eat any food. Like where does that line of reasoning stop? And that is an argument that I hear all the time. And, and I, I have a hard time addressing because it it's, it's so obvious to me that sometimes I have a hard time articulating like this isn't about the fact that I travel. This isn't about the fact that you travel. It's not about it's about the system that we are forced to function within. It's it's about how flawed our travel system is or our our petroleum based system, you know. And so these are the things we're like, guys, like I'm not talking about don't fly in airplanes. I'm not talking about don't buy climbing gear. I'm talking about let's look at like the foundation of that because that's where the changes need to take place I think and I'm also not discouraging you know the low-hanging fruit of changing out your light bulbs and putting solar on your house I do all those things too but if we're if we're looking to make the biggest dent it has to be like a, a fundamental level I think and we we can't be critiquing people for for trying to achieve that in different ways and only recently has that really come to light for me yeah but it's been frustrating as that's come to light because um, it's just it's been so much recently because mm. people are so are so heated right now about everything and they think if you're not doing things your way you're doing it or if you're not doing things their way you're doing it wrong and if you're not addressing you know I haven't been focusing on net neutrality in the past couple of days because you've you've only got so much energy and you've only got so many outlets and I think the more things you address maybe the uh the more diluted your message becomes. And that's why I've really focused on those three things. You know, do I care about net neutrality? Yes, of course I do. I think, I'm pretty sure everyone does actually, but but I think staying focused allows you to to become less diluted and hopefully become a little more powerful in your messaging. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, that applies to whether you have a strong social media voice or you are good at community organizing or you are a good writer or you are good at talking to elected officials, whatever it is, like people need to find their own specific outlet and, and realize like, okay, this is where I can make a difference. I can use my own skill set. I don't need to be Brody and skiing off mountains or I don't need to be Terry and traveling to Nepal, you know, like Mm -hmm. whatever it is, I think people can find their, a way to function within their own skill set, hopefully pretty comfortably and, and utilize that platform. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that dovetails on uh, a big piece of advice. I, you know, we got from Conrad early on in the, in the course of this podcast and just focusing on what you're passionate about and what you're good on Yeah, from the beginning. I don't think you're going to be effective by expanding beyond that on purpose. Yeah. I think, you know, the problem with the, the social chambers that we find ourselves in is it, I think people do develop a pressure that they want to be able to comment and have expertise 
in all arenas. And it appears as though as if you should be able to because we can click for this information at all times. But the reality is true expertise and true effective advocacy comes from a lot of hard work and passion you know, behind the scenes. But don't you agree you don't need to have that expertise to be an advocate? You yeah. can just know that we should get off of fossil fuels. You don't need yeah. to know that the alternatives are actually more economically viable and blah, blah, blah. You don't need to know those things. You can just know by virtue of like this this premise of fossil fuels are limited and they're more expensive, done. Yeah. Like, And when people question, you can be like, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that alternative or I didn't know that option or I didn't know this this critique of my viewpoint. Like that's totally fine. Like encourage those conversations. Maybe it'll encourage someone to go out and learn more afterwards or maybe it's yeah. not about learning more, you know? And and I like seeing people come at it from all different levels of expertise and and I hear all the time, you know, like I'm afraid to, you know, my especially on social media, my friends with a million followers will will call me and they'll be like I can't believe you have like the audacity to say that. They're like, I think these things, but I cannot mm. bring myself to put it out there because I will have 6,000 comments of people proposing other viewpoints or giving me a hard time or trolling me or whatever. And I'm like, man, I, you have such a louder voice than I do. I wish you did, you know? I wish, yeah. I wish you chose to say these things, but that's not where they're choosing to voice themselves. Although in those kind of cases, that's where their voice would be most effective. Yeah. But I mean, you, you commented on yourself. I mean, it is a challenge and it's what disappoints you the most right now. And I think it's an interesting twist on this argument of the echo chamber, right? I mean, I think some people argue that activism amongst a platform of people that have the exact same values that we do and enjoy the activities we do, they're across the board just going to agree with us and they're not the people we need to influence. But the interesting point you just bring up is now, for one reason or another, people are taking the opportunity to use this platform to actually disagree with people on nitpicky little points, even though they might fundamentally agree on the big issue. Totally. And um, that's discouraging for me to actually hear that from you, but it's also encouraging to know that you're saying this in a somewhat uh, relaxed, like, wow, this is just, this is part of the playing field. It is what it is. I think it is, right, especially right now, I'm really only seeing it recently. And I've, I've been doing this okay. for a while now. And, and, you know, I go to a lot of these conferences and seminars and summits, and sometimes I'll walk away with them more, I'll walk away from them more discouraged than encouraged because I will see even within our own group, our own people, how there are these opposing viewpoints that are not, that are not constructive, but they're destructive. Because mm -hmm. they're not saying, hey, like, and also this, they're saying, no, 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 but this. And and that's killing me. And it's not stopping me by any means. But um, I, I know I operate within this echo, this echo chamber, like very much so. And I'm pretty okay with that. Because I realize that within the echo chamber that I have, they may be agreeing with me, but they're not making actionable steps toward making a difference. So just agreeing, if, if we say the echo chamber is just people that agree with you, that's not so bad because you have a lot of influence over those people that agree with you. Maybe they'd agree with you, but they're not voting yet. Like that's, I want to operate within my echo chamber of people who are going to vote for the same people I think should be voted for, but are not voting. Um, as opposed to reaching out for people way over there and trying to get them to, I put my hand to the right, um, <laughs> and trying to get them to to agree with what I agree on. And then you have to take another step on making them act. And then you have to take another step on making them forget their old viewpoints, then take another step on getting them to vote. It might be easier just to get the people just at the center, just right yeah. of center, or the people that just aren't doing anything to act. Brody talked about the importance of leveraging his fan base to act. I follow by asking if just liking his posts on social media or agreeing with him is enough. Are we activists or just people always say pressing like versus doing something and i say pressing like is doing something for so many people that aren't going to do anything else because whatever 90 percent of our purchases are informed by our social media influence right now it influences so much of our decision making and our purchases and our voting in this case, that is that is no less powerful than making a phone call that's one of a thousand phone calls to your senator these days. And that's, that's the argument I make. And it's not that I'm not open to debate on this, but it's that I'm saying that is doing something. This is 2017, like pressing like, watching a video, sharing something that is doing something. 
and I would say that's as important as a lot of other things that people do. Is it the only thing people sh- should be doing in, in mm-hmm. this utopia? No. But is it the only thing a lot of people do? Yeah, like you sign a petition, that's great. And mm-hmm. so I spend a lot of time trying to pe- get people to sign petitions that are already already written or write or you know submit comments that are the letter is already written they literally just have to press submit and and i know that's you have to meet people where they are yeah and if they're online at their office or they are at a rally and that's where they're going to stop i think you have to meet them there Mm -hmm. and and i'm okay with that is it okay to encourage those people to to do more sure but is it um is it worth it to belittle the actions that they are making and thus criticize imperfect activism or so to speak or what we were talking about no like that's gonna they're gonna be like okay then i won't press like that's all i care to do and if you don't want me to do that i won't and then all of a sudden this article about whatever is not going to go viral because they're not pressing like and all all their friends also aren't, aren't aren't pressing like and then the entire message is lost. I mean, it's, you know, Bears Ears was just, we just raised $200,000 in two weeks for right. Bears Ears visitors or education center through social media. Like if that's in, you know, those people are just pressing like, those people are just donating $5. Those people are just pressing share. But is that like not powerful? No, it totally is. That's like online turning to something tangible. Right. I was just going to bring that up as an example, a recent example of, of how that may have translated because I think it's, it's, it's nice to have a concrete example of how liking something, sharing something may actually translate and, and into a product, so to speak, or mm-hmm. a project. So can you expand for, for the listeners here that you know, we have listeners from India and the UK and Africa, so they may not know about Bears Ears and, and this project and this initiative that, um, and that you guys just endured mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, a weekend ago, but maybe highlight a little bit what the issue is and, and how you responded to it and, and raise some awareness with this last campaign. It's something like every American owns 60,000 acres or 6 million acres, something like that. There's some number of, of acreage that if you divide up all of our public lands in the US, every American owns a, a huge chunk of land. And there's this there's this hot topic right now of the government coming in to try to exploit our public lands. And that's kind of most recently been expressed through this Bears Ears topic, which is Bears Ears is a national monument declared by Obama toward the end of his uh, presidential term in Southern Utah. I've rock climbed there once. I don't feel this crazy attraction to this area. It's beautiful. It's extremely unique. It's not really my thing, but that's not what this is about at all. Because the same way I'm saying it's not really my thing, someone in Michigan or someone in India is like, this isn't this isn't my backyard, it doesn't affect me. It's not my backyard either. It doesn't really affect me directly because I don't recreate there, but this is why it does affect me and the, the guy in Michigan and you know. This is precedent setting right now for all of the national, non- national monuments are a designation of public lands that um, kind of imply a variety of different uh, restrictions and usages and those kind of things. And Bears Ears is a national monument in Southern Utah uh, that the Trump administration came in in an effort to pretty much reverse anything that Obama did. And they said, okay, Obama made this national monument. We're going to shrink it by like 90%. Why is that important? Because there are 27 plus other national monuments scattered throughout the country right now that are also on the chopping block for him to come in and be like, and Clinton did this and Obama did this and we can we can cancel out all of these things. And there are five Native American tribes that live on this land who don't tend to agree on a lot of things. They've all come together to form this coalition because they all unanimously agree that this is a terrible action being made. I think it's 75 plus percent of Utahns think it's a terrible idea. The majority of America thinks it's a terrible idea. 94, 95 percent, I think, on the monument. Of Utahns? Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Um, it's pretty overwhelming. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable how much they're just... But then again, our, our senators and our president are saying, yes, please do this. It's representing the people, but no one's representing the people in that case. I'm not the most informed about it. I don't go there very frequently, but... From what I do know, it's it's the wrong thing. And I'm looking within my echo chamber because these are a lot of informed people and they're telling me this is not what we want done. And so, yeah, the Friends of Cedar Mesa, which is a nonprofit down in that area, decided, okay, 
the federal government can declare this a national monument and then just leave it? No, like we want people to experience this place, but it's a hard place to visit. It's a hard place to recreate in. There is not a lot of information about it. It's kind of just the desert with a very, very small town nearby. And so they said, okay, we need a visitor center. We need a way to teach people how to experience this place in a responsible and informed way. So they started a Kickstarter online for the uh, for the Friends of Cedar Mesa did for a Bears Ears Education Center. And they were going to buy an old bar in a town in southern Utah, turn it into a, what I call is a guerrilla visitor center because that's what it is. They're like, all right, if the government's not going to do it, we are because we need to teach people how to come here. They needed $100,000 to purchase the building and then they needed $200,000 to do renovations to the building and it's kind of all happening all via online activism we had I think a $100,000 goal and now we're up near $200,000 we're gonna like be able to put exhibits in the building hopefully it's making a statement that these protected public lands are important and my my dream here is that it gets more people to these areas this will hopefully make bears ears easier to visit in a responsible way it's hard for people to want to protect things that they haven't experienced. If they haven't experienced not just Bears Ears, but public lands or national monuments near them, they may be, may be less inclined to to express their dissent of shrinking them. If we can get people visiting these places, and if we can make visiting them to these places easier, I think we'll see a more unified voice expressing disapproval of shrinking them. Yeah. And so if the education center is going to help provide that voice by letting people experiencing them, I think that's all for the better. And uh, let's talk about your Sufferfest to help support the cause. <laughs> that's the only thing I can know how to do. <laughs> <laughs> Caroline Gleick came up with the idea for like a vertathon mm-hmm. where, you know, what do we do? We climb mountains and we push ourselves. And Luke Nelson, um, another Patagonia athlete, decided to kind of take that to the next level. And he said, let's get eight people to each climb 15,000 feet in a day. And that's 100,000 feet because we're trying to raise $100,000 for Bears Ears. Well, by the time we actually did this thing, we were already at like $175,000 or whatever. So we climbed, uh, eight of us, either by ski or by foot, climbed 15,000 plus feet each in like a 12-hour period. And we were all super sore. We are still all super sore like (laughs) five days later or whatever. Um, But we raised, you know, $25,000 from... You know, among the eight of us, we probably had, I don't know, a million social media followers. We mm-hmm. put it out on social media for two days and, you know, we raised $6,000, $10,000, $500, $8. My aunt gave $5. You know, yeah. like there's there's this money coming in from people all over the world that understood that this this is about Bears Ears, but it's about something much bigger than Bears Ears. That's that like-tivism. They're like, I can donate 10 bucks. Because it's going to be fun to watch Brody's stories of him struggling on Instagram throughout the day. Fair enough. Like that, I'll give ten bucks for that. You know, <laughs> and I'm gonna give one dollar to watch his suffering. Exactly. Yeah. It's people were a little fraud and shoulda. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> people were donating like per foot, or like you know, if if you accomplish it, I'll donate this much, and all went directly toward the Kickstarter, and it's all going directly toward the Bears Ears Education Center, and like okay. that was Lectivism in action, providing like an actual tangible project. Well, thanks for suffering. Yeah, of course. <laughs> We move on from public lands advocacy, and I ask Brody in more detail about his climate advocacy work. In his travels, he's seen the effects of climate change firsthand, from rain and the Arctic island of Svalbard to perhaps being one of the last to ski the snows of Uganda. We talk about his journey from skier to advocate for protecting snows for winters to come. It was something that I was interested in kind of my whole life, like I said, like since elementary school. Mm. But once I started skiing for a living, I was having a hard time. Inter- it's easy to integrate as student body president, how to integrate like in- environmental initiatives on campus, right? Yeah. That's like some low hanging fruit. You can like make sure all the printers are double sided and that kind of stuff, you yeah. know? Recycle bins. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But as as a professional skier traveling around the world and, and experiencing so much, taking so much in reality and not giving as much that was a harder line for me to draw um, connection for me to make. And on that same Denali trip with two different size ski boots in 2013, Jer- <laughs> Jeremy Jones was there okay. and you've got a lot of downtime to be talking yeah, about stuff. Right. And he started to find out how interested um, I was and how active I was in the environmental world, but how that had kind of hit a lull after graduation, like this three year lull of just me traveling and skiing and telling stories of skiing, not climate related. And 
he was already whatever five years in to protect our winters which is a nonprofit that he founded to uh speak on behalf of the snow sports and outdoor industry about climate change and you know he invited me to be part of it and i didn't really know what that meant at the time but i now volunteer every free second i have for protect our winters because more than public lands, more than avalanche safety, more than anything, I think climate is the biggest threat we face as not a generation, but like as a planet right now. And that's that's pretty universally accepted, I think, among most people that understand the consequences. You and I, we see the consequences firsthand on a daily basis. We're in the mountains. A lot of people feel as though when they're living their lives in the city or whatever, they're not they feel as though they're not seeing these consequences and thus maybe they're not real. And so I certainly find it a big part of my job to be able to tell these stories of why this is real and why it affects you and your life in the city or or you and your life by the coast or whatever it is, because this isn't about Brody not being able to like ski pow in Africa anymore. This is about something much bigger than that. I was struggling to integrate it into my life and my career as a professional skier, but now it's so obvious how to do that and that I should be doing that, that it's like my biggest focus. You say it's so obvious how to do that. Um, can you expand on that a little bit more? Um, well, okay, we have this platform that we all create as, as athletes. We have these experiences that we're all having in the mountains every day. And we have this threat that we face. And I mean, maybe it's only obvious to me, but it's like, it slaps me in the face. I'm like, how could you not address this? How could you just say, oh, sick, another great day of skiing, or oh man, this season really sucks for skiing. Can't wait for it to come around next season. It, I think it's just irresponsible to be doing that. And again, it's it's not necessarily an obligation insofar as it's something that I I feel compelled to do, but don't want to be doing. It's like, it, it just feels like the right thing to do. It, I don't have to push myself to talk about climate change. I don't have to like, convince myself to engage in these conversations about it with people that are deniers or whatever like this is this is it's the right thing for me to be doing it's like the right way for me to use my voice and it's it's not a challenge for me do i get hate for it for sure or do people like troll me on the internet and like give me a hard time in person like am i out with these people that you and i would expect to be like on our side here right am i out with a photographer a ski photographer and we're skinning up the mountain and he brings up he's like yeah so like this whole like climate change things like I know it's a good for your brand, but you don't like, you don't actually buy it. Right. And I, and I'm just like wide eyed and I'm like, really? And he's like, but I mean, yeah, like you, I mean, what, what, what right do you have to say anything? Like you, you fly to Africa and I'm like, that's really what you're taking away from this. Like you think that is the main takeaway here. You think because someone uses fossil fuels that makes them have no right to address the problem of the fact that our society relies on fossil fuels and you don't see the big picture here and like that's where i'm like okay i i can't just assume everyone's with me on this i can't just assume because 97 percent of scientists believe climate change is happening and influenced by mankind which is more than now like 99 i can't just assume that everyone's going to be on my page because again i'm not the most informed about this but like it's slapping me in the face every day. It's it's undeniable. It's not something I can ignore, but that's just me. And so I kind of need to like talk to people again where they're at and on their level and whether that's like educating them on like the most basic level or it's engaging them in conversation because, you know, all they hear about is, is what their crazy uncle tells them at Thanksgiving. I think you need to like, I think we all need to be able to be patient and have these conversations and educate people so they can get on the same level. But now it's it's about much more than education. It's about much more than understanding. It is about acting. Yeah. And whether you're you're going to rallies or you're you're set on your liketivism or you're running for public office or you're like a scientist trying to invent, you know, alternative uh, fuels. These are all great things and they're all necessary. And we can't give each other a hard time for doing any one of these because every one of these is necessary. Yeah. I finish by asking Brody, how does someone new to the contentious world of activism find their confidence and voice? Is there a way to make a difference if you are uncomfortable with the social media spotlight on your actions? I could see a listener right now saying, oh, well, it's it's easy for Brody to kind of shrug that off because he has a platform and he's he's created an identity for himself. But like the young high schooler who wants to advocate for these causes too, but is so, so invested emotionally in the potential criticism that they might get for anything they say. 
maybe there's not an answer, but perhaps you have some sort of advice or words of encouragement um, for some of those well-meaning individuals out there that might be paralyzed by that prospect. Yeah, and I, I think... I think the answer is that you don't have to put yourself out there for criticism. You can do things that I'm okay with the criticism. I can put myself, I mean, I'm just like a regular guy from Ohio who like pushes himself hard in the mountains and, and has a platform upon which I can speak, but it doesn't feel good when people criticize me or anyone else. You know, I just get more of it than other people really. (laughs) And, um, and that does not, I don't become like a, emotionless to it and i don't become like scarred from it like this is i'm, I'm not calloused i am like this hurts every time but i'm willing to, to have those conversations and if people are so paralyzed by the fear of those conversations there are so many things they can be doing that don't involve having them or that don't involve making themselves vulnerable or open to that criticism and these are the emails i'm i'm happy to get every day like hey i'm a high schooler in illinois and I think it's so cool what you're doing with Protect Our Winters or with whatever. Mm-hmm. What can I do? I, I'm not big on social media and I'm not a I'm not an athlete that's, you know, sponsored. Mm-hmm. So what and do you say? I, I, I don't like to give them a cookie cutter answer because I like to find out what they're interested in. I don't just say, all right, hey, well, donate to this Kickstarter. Or, uh, hey, here's the number for your senator. Um, one of your senators, go ahead and call them. Uh, I don't like to say, talk to your parents at the dinner table. Because, you know, maybe... Maybe once I learn a little bit more about them, you know, we'll usually exchange a few emails because I learned more about them and they're like, oh, actually, my dad is the CEO of Exxon. <laughs> um, You're like, Exxon. Totally. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, maybe conversations at the dinner table are the best option or maybe they're not the best option, you know. Um, I had this crazy experience where uh, the state of Utah was trying to make uh, net metering much more difficult with solar around here. They were trying to really make it pretty much prohibitive um, the barriers to entry so high for having rooftop solar on houses that people would stop doing it because the utility is a monopoly and they wanted to have your money from fossil fuels. And so I went to a uh, public hearing to testify in front of the Public Utilities Commission, Public Service Commission. And that's not fun. I was in a room full of probably half and half, like solar supporters and Exxon supporters or whatever. And it's, uh, I get there, you know, hours early, I get my number, I go to testify, I stick out like a sore thumb in this room, right? It's, it's like me and my goggle tan and I like get up in front of the microphone and I'm staring at these, I think four like absolutely stone face, emotionless judges, right? They're all big guys in suits and just staring at me. I start giving my appeal. Like I'm testifying. I'm giving my testimony about why I think rooftop solar is important. I had not bought this house with rooftop solar yet. I didn't have rooftop solar. I didn't plan on having rooftop solar. It's something I aspired toward, but I knew it's the right thing to encourage, not discourage, like the state of Utah was trying to do. These guys, I'm like making jokes. People behind me are laughing. The guys, the judges are not laughing. And that's the only people that matter. You know, I'm being lighthearted. I'm telling them, oh, yeah, I'm a skier, blah, blah, blah. This tool isn't working. Exactly. <laughs> like nothing was working because they can't show emotion. Like, yeah. you know, definition of the job. Yeah. And so at the end, I'm like, whoa, boy, I wonder how that went. And they're like, all right, thanks, Mr. Levin. Uh, next. You know, and that's it. And uh, I'm, and I, I kind of walk away feeling pretty defeated, but I do this all the time. And I usually feel defeated and that's fine. And, and, I, and I walk away from it feeling defeated. And I, one way for me to cope with that defeat is to post about it on social media because I get back in my echo chamber and everyone's like, thanks for being there today. I couldn't be there. I had to work or I would never be able to do that. Or, oh, man, those guys on stage really looked like a couple of dicks. And like, I can't believe you were able to say that. Um, but I get this message the next morning and it's a, it's a local guy. And he's like, the judge on the right is my dad. <laughs> And he's like, I go to his house like once a week to have a conversation with him. He gets it. He's, I don't, I don't remember if he said like the words, he's on our side, mm-hmm. but like I'm working on it. And like, thank you for going there because he needed to hear it from my generation. Because this guy who's followed me, this his son is just like a skier. He follows yeah. me because I'm a skier, right? And his dad is just, his dad is not this judge in a suit on a stage. It's his dad. And like he has influence over his dad and he's like, I'm going there tonight to have dinner to talk to him about what you talked about him this, like this morning. Yeah. And I was like, it worked. It worked, you know. 
and and not everyone's able to do that because when I was in that room, it did not feel like it worked. Yeah there's a way for everyone to find and if and you don't have to care enough to really dig in to figure out how you're going to be most effective you just have to know that you don't have to be open to criticism to like make a difference it's okay to not like criticism i don't like it either <laughs> <laughs> well you aspired to uh, have uh, rooftop solar someday you've got it now i've got it now what yeah you, what's what's next right i mean what do you aspire to i guess uh, i think maybe... four more panels because i'm not four, quite oh, net okay. zero <laughs> cool. we're done with that question <laughs> uh Adventure projects and activism. I mean, is there something that's on your radar screen? I'm assuming, but knowing that you're kind of in the same tribe I am, you probably near the end of the year start thinking about goals for 2018. Uh, do you have anything that you're excited about right now, either adventure or also a, a, an issue uh, that you want to work on or concentrate your energies on in 2018? Yeah, I don't. I don't want to. I think expand like my activism and topics because I, I think I probably need to hone in, yeah. if anything else. I don't know if one of them is kind of going to fall by the wayside or what, but I, I think I do need to continue to develop a voice. But I, I need to like tread this line carefully of most people don't follow me because I care about the environment on social media, or most people don't like looking at my pictures in ski magazines because I care about public lands. They're doing it because I'm an athlete, and I think I need to remember being an athlete is my job, that's how I pay the bills. That's why people care about what I'm doing. That's why I have a voice. And so I need to maintain that. And it's also way more fun than like testifying. So um, <laughs> I think it's I think it's important for me to continue to like think because it's easy for me to like get caught up writing letters to senators instead of like planning expeditions. There's so much work to be done. So much work to be done. So I, I need to, I think, continue to walk that line. I don't want to turn too many people off. I don't want to turn off the people that are on the brink of getting it, are on the brink of acting, are on the brink of like doing something good. You know, if I turn off the people that are going to vote for Trump no matter what, like that's that's okay with me. Yeah. You know, they're they're um, they're a lost cause as, the, as far as I see it. Yeah. And um, other people will disagree with that. That's fine. I hope those people go try to bring them back in. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to try to bring them back in. I'm going to continue to try to appeal to climbers, skiers, and runners to to push themselves in the mountains or push themselves to do whatever they think is hard for them. And, and hopefully make a, a lasting difference with the issues that we're faced with yeah. right now. Um, Do you have a, an idea on your mind right now where we can relish in your suffering in 2018? Um, I'm, I'm looking at going back to, I really liked Central Asia. I'm going to go back to, I think, Denali to, to try a project I've been mm -hmm. wanting to try um, this summer. Okay. And I, I, you know, I live in Salt Lake, so I don't have to travel much to ski pow. So I'll yeah. stick around here for, you know, the first couple of months yeah. of winter. And then once spring approaches, um, my big trips are usually together by then. Mm -hmm. uh, I really want to go back to Central Asia. We'll see if that happens. But this stuff doesn't usually come together until freaking March anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, right. um, and then, uh, yeah, I'll continue to volunteer with Protector Winters as much as I can and expand a little bit with the different organizations like Heal Utah, the Sierra Club and the other organizations that like, I volunteer for when I can. And and I'd like to, you know, I do a little bit of public speaking. I think that that may be better utilized um, using my voice, like you know, not in crowds of 50 people, but uh, whether that's online or webinars or whatever, trying to reach out a little bit. But I'm also like really open to feedback on this from people, like what they think is most effective because like I'm just in this echo chamber and I'm just myself. So it's nice to hear what people yeah. find meaningful. Right. Well, it sounds like that's great. So it sounds like you're open to feedback. I mean, how do people best find you? Yeah, it's it's all out there. Brody11.com, yeah. at Brody11, Twitter, Instagram, mm -hmm. Facebook.com slash Brody11, Brody11 at Gmail. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot of... Uh, talking about myself which i try to avoid as much as possible instead talking about like what needs to be done you know yeah well i guess in that if if uh if there is a, a virtual listener out there who's motivated by what you have to say could you best bring up maybe a, a one poignant concise piece of advice for someone like the next generation who's trying to follow in your footsteps in an athlete and advocacy arena last night after we chatted actually i had okay. an email from a um a guy who he was a Canadian and he's like, I want to, he's like, I love dealing with people. I love being outside. I'm not professional athlete caliber, mm -hmm. um, but I want to share my passions for the outdoors and protecting them with people. And we started talking about him being a guide. And I'm like, maybe that's like a great outlet for you. Cause I don't want to like direct people to do something. Cause like if you're telling them what to do, it might not be what they're truly interested in. And like in his case, he's like, actually, being a guide would be a great idea. And we had this conversation about how guiding would allow him to like introduce his skill set to other people, but also allow him to like talk to people about important issues. And 
And I think people like need to look inward first before they look outward about where they can act. And frequently that means having experiences in the places they want to protect. So if you don't see climate change on a daily basis, try to go skiing in Salt Lake right now. <laughs> uh, I went yesterday. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> or if you want to, uh, if you want to care about public lands, go to Bears Ears and then think about it being shrunk by 90%. You know, and, and after you look inward and have these experiences for yourself, I think it will, it kind of elucidates itself what people can do as individuals, which is, which is different for every person. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks. Anything else you want to say? No, I appreciate you doing this and like having, creating a platform for people to hear like what, what I think is important stuff. So thank you. Cool, man. All right. Well, thanks so much for your time. It's awesome to have you host me here at your house and, uh, get outside hopefully. Yeah. Let's do it, man. Thanks for hanging out. (laughs) Yeah. No worries. Thanks, Brody. That's awesome. Okay. Well, once again, I'd like to thank Brody for his time to learn more about Brody. Check him out at Brody11.com. Follow him on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can also go to our site at theadventureactivist.org and click on the podcast tab to catch a few more photos of Brody and links to some of his partners, including Protect Our Winners, Heal Utah, and the Winter Wildlands Alliance. And thanks to Evan Phillips for the wonderful interlude music you enjoyed here on this episode. We connected through his amazing podcast, The Fern Line, which is about climbing the great ranges of Alaska. Please check out his podcast or even better, purchase some of his own music on iTunes. Finally, I'd like to thank you for listening to Episode 5 of the Adventure Activist Podcast. If this episode inspired and added value to your life and passions, please consider making a donation at our site. You can also find us on Patreon.com. Even a dollar an episode would be incredible. We hope you've been with us from the beginning, but if not, check out the other episodes on our site on iTunes or SoundCloud. If you have just a few spare minutes, give us a good review. Share with your friends. Your show of support means so much. Thanks all, and keep adventuring.